Hello, and welcome to the second episode of the ARC Audio Review, which, like the name implies, is the audio version of the ARC Review, which in turn is the digital written expansion of ARC Books, where conversations about culture, literature, and ideas are daily occurrence. I'm your host, Snorra Abnhatlson, and this month's theme is that there... There is no theme. Shit. There's no theme for this episode. What, what am I going to do? I have nothing to tie together the segment of this episode. No unifying idea, which brings meaning to everything. But on the other hand, it leaves me free to do what I want to do. And what I wanted to do is to tell you a bit about an upcoming event we here at ArcBooks are participating in. On June 23rd, Lucinera, or Bright Nights, is coming to Mölleke. And we, along with the Literaturhaus and Mölleke's Bohandel, are taking over the street for the first time out of three this summer. A street festival, Copenhagen style. All about literature. There's going to be readings, seminars and workshops. You can buy books, meet authors and people from the Danish literary scene and also some people from abroad. There's going to be great music to dance to and plenty of cold beers to go around. Oh, there will be fun. And there will be beer. Remember, I said we're doing this Copenhagen style. I could be here all day and uh, tell you about how great it will be, who will be there and so on and so on, but instead I figured I could give you a taste of what's been going on at ARC and what to expect at Lucinera. On June 14th, the Horse's Mouth came to ArcBooks with their storytelling event. The deal is that they pick a theme and everybody is invited to tell a story on that theme. See, they make it easy for you. They pick a theme and then you know what to talk about. The Arc Review, unfortunately, does not always afford me this luxury. Here I am sitting in my room late on a Thursday evening speaking into a microphone with no clue about what I'm doing. Anyways, they're going to be at Lucinetta and they want you to tell a story. I bring you the storytelling phenomenon that has swept the streets of Nervo, the horse's mouth. My name is Henry. And I'm Rachel. Uh, we're the hosts of The Horse's Mouth the live storytelling event hosted by Arc Books in Copenhagen. Yeah. We've been around since uh, December of 2016. So mm. we had five events so far. Mm. We were inspired by the uh, American event, The Moth. And we felt that Copenhagen was uh, missing something similar. Like, at the same time, we're our own thing, and we, that's not the only reason why we did it. We're aware that there's other storytelling events that happen in Danish, but as two international transplants in Copenhagen, we wanted something that was accessible and a way to socialize outside of just drinking beers. Yeah. And, yeah. I guess it's just also, like, you know, you want to go to these kind of events, these cultural events, and there's, like, a lot of... Uh, interesting things taking off in Copenhagen at the moment and it's uh, nice to kind of yeah, present something else. It's a nice thing to do on a Wednesday yeah. to drink a beer on a Wednesday but not feel like you're ruining your work day. Do something cultural. 
um, tell a story, hear a story. thought it was a good format. So, without further ado, let's hear Rachel's story about Summer Lovin'. So, um, I'm going to talk about the summer where I tried really hard to be a hippie, and it <laughs> didn't work. Um, it started with a boy. I thought for sure I was in love for the one and only time I would ever be in love. Uh, his name was Micah, and he was beautiful and tall, and he wore a feather earring, and he was in a band, and I just thought he was the greatest thing on earth. And I had just moved to Venice Beach, and I didn't really know a lot of people, and then I met this group of hippies, but they weren't. They were like rich kids that like to be dirty. And uh, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm from California. I, I can, I'm, this sounds cool. Everyone's so nice. And so there was this um, <clears throat> venue that was a warehouse. Um, that was a warehouse that they turned into a venue. And then the members of this band lived in the venue. And they had this like balcony thing that they all slept on and curtains and tie-dyed shit. And uh, <laughs> I, I thought it was amazing. And so I spent all of my time there and... Uh, Micah did not love me, but <laughs> but um, we had like this mutual cuddling situation that I was like, oh, okay, I can settle for this. <laughs> it's better than nothing. So I would I would go, and I also wore feathers in my ears, and like it was not a good look on me at all. And uh, I was tried to be in this band that, like, looking back on it, it was, like, one guy and then, like, five girls, like, singing behind him. It was very, like, cultish. Also, I just, I never really fit. I remember when, when everyone would start, like, burning sage, I just hated the way it smelled and thought it was so annoying. And everyone wanted to, like, hug for really long periods of time. And I just, like, okay, got it. Um, and, uh, there, oh yeah, there was a whole summer. Um, I was for sure a groupie, like, by definition, uh, minus the sex part. But I followed the band um, up the coast of California for a week one time. And uh, it was, like, me and three other girls that were also sleeping with the band members um, that had no purpose whatsoever besides just being there. Um, went out to the desert one night, and uh, they played a show, and then we just, like, slept in this weird person's camper. Um, so I'm not really sure how to wrap it all up. Um I guess at this period of time, I was also living on a girl's couch because I didn't have anywhere to stay. Um, I guess that adds to, like, the hippie vibe. Um, <laughs> and eventually I found a place to live, um, and I got a real job in a cafe. But I was working and kind of realized that Micah and I were never going to be, and uh, eventually started not wearing feathers in my ear. Um, but I do have 
as a testament to this time, Micah gave stick and poke tattoos, and he was really into alchemy. And, uh, <laughs> and um, so he was, we, I was like, I want a stick and poke tattoo. And uh, so he found this alchemical symbol. I don't remember the name, but he was like, it represents like the beast inside of mankind or some bullshit. And uh, <laughs> I was like, okay, where's like the sexiest place to get a tattoo? And so I have it here. Um, it looks like a tiny person. Like it's like this with like a circle. So it looks like a man trying to come out of my bathing suit. I guess. <laughs> but I have it and it's there. I actually saw Micah uh, last year at Roscoe the Festival because now he's playing in bigger bands um, and it was really nice to see him uh, but for sure was not in love it was very much infatuation and now I have this little uh, uh, testament to the time and I can also say I'm not a hippie will never be um, and that's my story <laughs> Like Rachel, I could never be a hippie. I detest the smell of burning sage and the loose-fitting rainbow-colored clothes don't appeal to me. I'd rather be in post-war Paris than 60s California. And in fact, sometimes I feel like Arc Books is in certain ways a continuation of the salons that sprouted up across Europe in the 17th and 18th century and continued well into the 40s. Well... Earlier today, I sat down in the back room of Arc Books with uh, Franek to discuss his article, The Manner in Which We Fear the Proliferation of Meaning, which was recently published on the Arc Review. It's an interesting piece where Franek tries to make sense of how the meaning of literature comes to existence only once a reader approaches a text in her own unique way, with her particular sensibilities, ideas, and opinions. This opens up an endless possibility of meanings, which kind of clashes with our idea of there being one meaning, one truth, and one reality to each statement, the right understanding. The tension between the two gives rise to a fear. We don't necessarily know how to make sense of it, and the fact that there might be no right way to make sense of things makes us uncomfortable. Here's Frank. Hi, my name is uh, Franciszek Korbański. The article I wrote is called The Manner in Which We Fear the Proliferation of Meaning. This uh, is actually a quote from Michel Foucault's uh, essay entitled What is an Author? Uh, and it's a part of, a, of what he writes there, which I... Uh, decide to take out of the context a little bit and, uh, and work on it. This particular uh, formulation, the manner in which we fear the proliferation of meaning, there was something about it which was just asking, so like, wow, I'm here, take a look at me and, and see what I am. So I, I then consulted the, the original text and, uh, and understood that uh, it was not the context in which it was used by Foucault, which was interesting for me. I was not so much interested in the question of authorship itself, uh, as it's a, to me it was a very particular instance of a, of a broader general issue. Uh, 
another thing about this formulation was that very often, or at least sometimes, maybe that's the better choice, uh, hearing something makes you realize that something exists. I mean, it's not like you didn't know it exists, but you never actually paid attention to something. And then I realized that there actually is certain fear connected to the fact that uh, that meaning is not, or like the meaning could proliferate, it could multiply, it could be fluid and not fixed. And this combination, those those two ideas together, uh, were what initially interests me. Uh, the text, the way it's, uh, the way I propose to go around it, consists of those two oppositions. The one is the manner we fear. The other one is the proliferation of meaning. Uh, but then there is another pair which I identify and I kind of allow myself to to introduce some terminology which is of my own coinage, but I think it's pretty fitting. This is the distinction between the eclectic and the, and the idiosyncratic aspects of meaning because as I see it, and I'm mainly concerned in the text uh, with, uh, with the question of the meaning of a text uh, as, as a given, uh, a, a written any sort of written word. And there is obviously this text which we have, and then there is us who have the text. And, and meaning always always happens when we actually do engage with a text. I mean, text in itself, which has never been read or which is not being read, in a certain sense, to me, does, does not have a meaning because this meaning is somehow not activated. So there is this two... Uh, these two elements in play and then yeah i i thought it i, I found it uh pretty fitting of, of labeling one eclectic this is the part which is uh uh related to the to the fact that the the text is is, is always uh comes to us from the world and the world as it is is always very rich and manifold and uh we try to tame it, but it somehow never, never lets itself be tamed as such. There is a lot of things which text can refer to and a lot of contexts can be seen uh, in and uh, a lot of uh, aspects of the world we live in, which, uh, which can be taken into account. And, and this creates this mosaic of, 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 of possible ways of, of possible registers which are possible to be heard. Uh, in something which paradoxically, and I think this was more of an aesthetic surprise to me, or like more like an aesthetic uh, sensation rather than a rational thought, uh, this realization that the, the text is fixed, it's it's stable, it's 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 there on the page, it doesn't move, it's 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 the most uh, undynamic thing you can you can think of, and yet there is this whole movement behind it. And, and this would be the, the, the first part of the components of the meaning, so to say. And the other one is obviously us. And then there, there, there comes obviously another paradox that, or, or, or a thought which, again, is, is, is very, very surprising if one actually stops and thinks about it. It's that there is so many of us and each of us comes with, with our own stories and our own sens sensitivities. It's, on the one hand, it's very banal and we kind of all know about it, but it is the case nevertheless so it, the banality of it does not make it less important so to say and this is what i what i label here uh as the idiosyncratic uh, aspect of the of the encounter with a text and it's it's 
idiosyncratic uh, is like this label is supposed to point our attention that each and single one of us is different it's obviously it's not as simple as that because we all participate in uh, in certain discourses and we are all being affected by certain ways of talking and thinking and, and, and approaching the world. But somewhere, all this is nevertheless now capable of abolishing this, this fact that every single person is unique. And this, uh, this presupposition is very, very strong in me. The more I think about it, because obviously uh, I come to realize more and more, like trying to write different things down, that uh, what they are eventually is just a certain certain stage at the way you think about things, usually the stage day or two before a deadline for an article. Uh, but it doesn't mean that you yeah, that you kind of stop thinking about it and say, okay, that's that. And kind of movement from a rich, uh, fluid universe, which is then secreted in one single point and then opens up again is, is basically uh, it, the more I think about it, the more I think that it basically the, the both of the both of the sides, they are rooted in life. It's not like the text comes from a different world than we live in and then we come from some different place to it. Like we both rooted in the same place and then the text paradoxically is just like a just a meeting point, and yet this point is fixed somehow, uh, at least on the face of it. So, so there is a very interesting dynamics in it. I'm not sure I, I really have it figured out uh, for now. Uh, but there is, certain, there is there is something fascinating, especially in context of the uh, of the demands, which I think uh, we experience quite often. Uh, explicitly or not of of being able to uh, to actually find the correct meaning or, or figure something out the way it should be or understand it the way it's it's it was meant to be like this uh, there is certain manner of uh, of approaching text which i guess uh, i'm not sure how it is in uh, in in other schools than in Poland but at least in my school there was always this I remember this till this day, the, the, this certain idea that you, you should read the text and then you should reach the, the correct conclusions about it. And it quite honestly, it took me quite a long time to, to actually fight this idea that the, this is something, uh, there is something out there which is the right way of approaching it. I think the there is definitely something noble about the the idea that there is a right way of of understanding things i think it, it can be said that this it, it is one of the driving ideas of of the whole enlightenment movement and of modernism who uh who uh, which which would like to actually reach the the real and the truth and the things and uh and in this sense, uh, in the certain innocence of the of the period when it started, it, it, this enthusiasm was definitely uh, was definitely a positive drive towards trying to to achieve this fixed kind of point when things would be explained and we would be on top because we are so rational. But I think 
of course, it's it's been recognized how this project failed. It it did not brought us where it was supposed to bring us because we over and over uh, discovered our own limitations and, and the impossibility of this project. But somehow this, despite this realization, this idea that, that, the, that the right or true meaning can be reached after all, uh, survived uh, somehow in us. Uh, and and, and we, we, we tend to take it for granted. But now I think this motivation is no longer this this optimism and belief in what we can do as humans, but it's rather a fear uh, of the consequences, which we kind of stumbled upon and realized, wow, this like this, this is not really possible to reach this this very fixed point which we had in mind. I jump off from this point of this idea, like, why would we fear this situation? I mean, what is so scary about a situation where we just say okay well meaning is this very manifold and 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 fit and like ungraspable thing what is so scary about it i am willing to admit that there is a lot of domains when the certainty is is a necessity and this is all all the domains where technology is is in question all the domains where very simple example like if you go to a doctor like you would like to know that you're able to communicate so of course this whole point i'm making is not aimed at undermining uh, certain certain discourses which which are governed by certain rules and assumptions that 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 what we say will be understood and it has one meaning and there is no need of interfering but to me this is only assumption it, it, it does not mean that there is something about those discourses which in themselves makes them very clear and, uh, and, and, and uh, distinctive. But this is something which like we give up some of the, some of the openness of the meaning just to make them so. I think the problem is if, if one kind of loses the, sign, uh, the sight of the fact that this is just one of this is just one possibility. <laughs> this 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 uh, way of of uh, approaching the meaning is 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 in no way a necessity and is in no way rooted in what meaning is. It's it's rather something we uh, we agree with 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 ourselves and and in the society that that's what we're gonna do here and and say that's how we're gonna do it. But the danger which I see is when we lose the sight of the fact that this is all just uh, conjecture. This is, this is this is not something necessary. And when we become to treat it as as the, the the dominant standard and the one and only standard which is which is correct to be used, and somehow try to use it also in case of uh, the domains or situations or moments when it would not necessarily be needed. But we kind of think, oh, we need to be very precise about this. Like, again, like reading a, reading a text in school, which is a very simplistic example, but it, I, I think it's kind of telling. And if in those moments, this fear prevents us from, from, from a certain attitude of openness, then I think it is problematic. And I think, again, there is a certain, this time Heideggerian, of, uh, motivation behind it, I guess, in, in how he criticizes in, in being in time, 
the 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 scientific outlook i mean the what i took out of his critique is not that science as such is something which should be rejected to make place for the for the analysis of Dasein and Dasein's existence. <laughs> or rather, the choice is not between one or the other, and they, they, they are not exclusive as such. It's, just, it's always a question of locating them in the right spheres. So science has is, is, is very reputable sphere into which it belongs and is capable of doing great things within this sphere. The problem is when this scientific outlooks is being overtaken to other spheres and becomes a standard for us to measure things which should not be measured scientifically. Uh, and the only motivation to do so is uh, basically when we try to find the motivation, we realize there is none. I think it's all a matter of being uh, very careful and very aware of what are we talking about or what, where are we with a text and in this in the case of this text and and how do we approach it and why do we why might we have certain ideas of 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 rightness or wrongness i generally very much try to avoid those two <laughs> in my thinking i think it's uh, they usually do more harm than good when one tries to uh, tries to put the world in those terms That's all for now. I'd like to thank Franek, Henry and Rachel for speaking to me. Come check out uh, Lucinetta on Friday the 23rd of June and check out all the articles at arcbooks.dk arcreview. You should also drop by the store on Mulliger 10, the heart of Copenhagen's buzzing literary district. <laughs>